Uh, you can turn to this passage. I'm going to get to it in just a moment. But uh, to get prepared, uh, turn to Mark uh, chapter 8 and verse 22. And I'll be reading it in, in just a few minutes. Mark chapter 8, starting with verse 22. I know I date myself when I tell these stories, but I'm going to go ahead. I'm, I have no shame. Uh, you know that with my new hairdo, like Jeff Ross's, and uh, I have no shame. I can, I can do anything. I can be foolish for God. But uh, I became a Christian at the age of 19 in 1961. 1961. And I'll never forget that after becoming a Christian, I went away to a Youth for Christ camp and began to get grounded in the Word a little bit. I began to get discipled, and, and uh, things were happening. And about two or three weeks after being, becoming a Christian, I was challenged. You need to teach the MYF youth group on next Sunday night. And that's, that's a Methodist group. And uh, I knew a lot of those people. Most of them were non-believers, um, as I had been. And uh, so I was trying to come up with something. And uh, uh, I decided to, to do something based on a song that was popular at that time. Now, you would have had to be alive in 1961. How many of you were kicking in 1961? Some of you. Okay. Some of you were in diapers. Uh, and some of you were being thought about. But in 1961, there was a song called... Summertime Blues, which is what I've coined for a subject tonight. And it was a, a rock and roll song. And, and I don't know how you were after you became a Christian, but for a little while, I, I was kind of legalistic. Boy, I was going to lay it on them, you know. I'd gotten regenerated and born again, and I was going to lay it on these people. And this song became my topic that night, Summertime Blues, by a guy by the name of Eddie Cochran. I don't know if that rings a bell to you, but uh, he was a rock and roller at that time. And he, he was talking about, he had the summertime blues, and he wrote this song. And he kept saying, but there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. Some of you heard it? Bum, 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 you know, that, yeah, that song. Well, uh, I don't know if you ever have these moments where you remember songs, song words, but, but uh, a couple weeks ago, one of the verses came back. And I'm trying to think how, how I would have blistered my audience that night with these lyrics. And comparing the lyrics in 1961 to a popular song, to the lyrics of songs today that we hear. But uh, one of the verses went, um, and, I, and I built a message around this. I don't know how. It says, uh, um, he says, I'm going to take two weeks. I'm going to plan a fine vacation. Da-da-da-dum. That's the way the song goes. Uh, I'm going to take my problem to the United Nations. Um uh, he said, I, told my, I went to my congressman, and he said, Whoa, I'd like to help you, son, but you're too young to vote. Sometimes I wonder what I'm going to do, but there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. I did a message on that, Floyd, and it was a blistered message. You know, you shouldn't be listening to this kind of music. Uh, but I never knew what I'd be thinking in 2003 about the music. But there is a cure, and we're going to look at that, I, I believe, tonight. There is a cure, cure to the summertime blues. There is a cure uh, to spiritual depression. Now, I have to, to preset this and say that I'm not talking about clinical depression. That can become very real. And uh, some of you, as I have friends who 
uh, deal with that, and that's a, that's a real problem. I'm not talking about that kind of depression. I'm talking about the kind of depression that you and I as Christians probably shouldn't have to deal with. Um, I think the Bible would state that. And, and certainly if we deal with it, we, we need to keep it at a minimum. We shouldn't let it uh, really dominate our lives. I'm talking about a spiritual depression like that. And I really think it's, it's sad and tragic for a Christian to have to be miserable for any length of time. I was talking to Richard today. We went to lunch, and he was telling me about, a, about an older couple that he was working with that are really going through a, a spiritual depressing time. And I have some, too, that I deal with. And it's tragic. It, it, it shouldn't take place. And it, I think it really affects the people outside the church that are looking for the church for answers. And when they see people who are continually uh, spiritual depressed, they wonder, have they got any answers? You know, can they, can they help me in my situation when they, they can't deal with theirs? Um, it can really be a difficult problem. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones says part of the problem in some cases is, is a lack of the understanding of justification of faith, being justified by faith that many of us hold to. And I believe that's, that's true because I think when, when one really begins to experience and understand and comprehend that we are justified by faith in Christ and Him alone and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, uh, that we, re- we really get freed up. And I think it can help us a great deal. Um, that was a problem uh, before the Reformation. People were miserable, if you read any of history. People who were Christians were not satisfied about their faith. And then along came Martin Luther and his great position, his great stand. And after the Reformation, a lot of people returned to having peace and happiness and joy in their lives again. So there is something to depression and being just, and understanding of justified, being justified by faith. But somebody asked me, can we say that all people... That, that people who have not been, uh, who have not understand the doctrine of justification by faith can be Christians. And my answer was yes. Because I'm one. It, I, didn't, I didn't understand that doctrine uh, early in my Christian walk. I don't know about you. Uh, you know, analyze it. You know, think about it right now. It was a long time before I began to understand what it is. So certainly people can be Christians and not understand it. But there seems to be a release that can take place in a person who has understanding of justification by faith that really uh, helps them in their walk and being able to overcome uh, spiritual depression. All right. I want us to consider this text, and I'm going to read it to you. Uh, It's a, uh, a picture of a rather remarkable miracle, and maybe one that you're familiar with, uh, if not familiar with this one, you're familiar with others that are like it. It involves Jesus uh, coming into contact with a blind man. And uh, let's read it, and then I'll begin making some comments. Verse 22. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. And they begged him to touch and heal this man. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? Now take note. Can you see anything now? 
The man looked around and answered, yes, I can see. He said, I see people. But look how he describes them. But I can't see them very clearly. I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. And he describes what they look like to him. Maybe, you know, like he's looking with some bad glasses or something. Uh, I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees that are walking around. Now, that's not the end. That's not the end of our story. Then Jesus placed his hands over the man's eyes again. As the man stared intently and his sight was completely restored. And he could see everything, notice, clearly. He could see everything very clear. Jesus then sends him home and says, don't go back into the village on your way home. What did he see? First of all, he saw men as trees walking. And then after Jesus continued to minister to him and to bring healing to him, he saw men clearly. He saw men clearly. Now, this is not an accident. Uh, Our Lord could have healed him instantly. Could he not? Sure he could. Just remember John chapter 9. When another blind man came to him and, and he took, made spittle out of the ground and spit, put it, wiped it on his eyes and said, go to the pool of Siloam and, and wash. And he came back seeing. It was instantaneous. He could have done that. But for some reason here, he becomes very deliberate. And it's actually, if you notice, a two-step process, his healing here. A two-step process. And there was a very, very much a purpose in what he is doing. Now, I think our Lord is teaching us a vital lesson and giving us a message that we all need to hear. And as Jones says, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Spiritual Depression, he says, our Lord's miracles are more than events. He says, when our Lord does miracles, uh, in a sense, they become parables. Even though this is an actual event, an actual incident from the life of Christ and his ministry to other people. Jones says, in a sense, they're like parables because they have such important spiritual meaning. Now, as you analyze this, there is a main lesson here. But who is it intended for? There is a huge lesson here. But who is to be the recipient of that lesson? My first thought would would be the man who experienced the the healing from Jesus. But it's really not the man, although he learned something too. Sometimes in the Scriptures you have to look and see what happened previous to the incident you're looking at. And that's the case here. Look up at the 14th verse. And you'll see something happening with the disciples. And I'm going to propose to you that the main recipients of the lesson are the disciples. Because the disciples are with him as he does this miracle on this man. The main message is for them. Verse 14. But the disciples discovered they had forgot to bring any food. So there was only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. And as they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. They decided he was saying this because they hadn't brought any bread. 
Well, it's wrong, but that's what they thought. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he said, Why are you so worried about having no food? Won't you ever learn or understand? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes. Can't you see? You have ears. Can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? What about the 5,000 men I fed with five loaves of bread? How many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand even yet? He asked them. The, the story tells us they forgot the bread. But they take Jesus literally here and they completely missed his point. They thought he was talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. That wasn't Jesus' point at all. He was saying to them, in essence, how long have you been with me? How long have you been following me? How long have you been observing me? And he even mentions a couple of miracles here in, in the text. How long have you been here? And yet, just like this man that I just healed, you're not seeing clearly. You're not getting the total picture. You're seeing it sometimes as men walking like trees. You're missing the whole point. But here is another group of people who should be recipients of this message. That's you and me. That's you and me. Because we too can look and see not the complete picture. And as we watched Jesus heal this man, it took him two stages to completely do the healing. Um, I think he's saying to the disciples and sometimes to you and me that we're first stage healers. We don't get past the first part. We don't get to where we see clearly. And if we don't see clearly, we're going to be certainly subject to depression in our, in our lives or open to tough times and difficult times. We need to get the picture, Jesus said. We need to get the total picture. We need to see clearly what Jesus is about and what Jesus is doing. And, of course, that he is indeed the only answer. The issue of spiritual depression. We should be concerned about it as Christians. And in the Psalms, it talks about individuals who are disquieted and unhappy and miserable because they lack clarity in their lives. Hold your place there in Mark, but uh, turn back. Well, let me just read it to you. I'm going to read it to you Psalm 52, those individuals who are subject to it, uh, spiritual depression. The psalmist, why am I discouraged? Why am I so sad? I will put my hope in God. To the spiritually depressed, that's the only plan. That's the only place to look. My hope is in God. I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again because He's my Savior and my God. The problem in the church today, or one of the problems in the church today, is we have too many wishy-washy Christians. We have too many that are up one, one month and down the next month. Uh, too many of them. And in, in James it speaks about the double-minded person is unstable in all things. We have individuals that say, yes, I'm a Christian. And then something happens. 
and they say, am I really a Christian? Can I be a Christian and be thinking these things? You see the, the, the two-sided affair here for that individual, the up and the down, the, the difficulty they have and the way that depression can set in with them. Nobody needs to stay in this condition. Nobody. Richard and I were sharing today as we went to lunch, and he, as he counseled some uh, couple, he mentioned that, uh, do you realize the peace that you have with God? The peace with God. That's a wonderful thing to, to, to think about as Christians, is it not? We have been reconciled. We are reconciled to Jesus Christ. Why would we not have peace with God? Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what, hap- what is happening, we have peace with God. We're at peace with Him. A man taught me one time this phrase, I must see every person and circumstance that touches my life as the Holy Spirit coming to me in that person and circumstance to make me more like Jesus Christ. That's pretty good, isn't it? I must see every person and circumstance that touches my life as the Holy Spirit coming to me in that person or circumstance to make me more like Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be uh, individuals susceptible to depression as Christians, should we? Sure, we're going to have problems. I look out here and I see people have had difficulties before. And you've been testimonies to me because it did not disquiet you. You, you testified of your hope in Jesus Christ. But there are way too many in the church that it can really get them down. And oftentimes they see everything else is wrong, and yet they fail to see that Christianity is the right thing. It's the only thing. It's the truth for them. Now, do you remember Jeremiah? This, this guy was something else. Well, turn to this one with me. Turn to Jeremiah 20. I have used this a lot. Uh, forgive me if I've used this with you before, but um, I think it's important to our subject tonight. An incident in the life of Jeremiah. Because certainly Jeremiah knows all about spiritual depression. If there was ever a prophet that went through depression, this is the guy. This is the guy. As I understand it, some 20 years without a convert, and yet God had called him in his mother's womb. He knew he was called to be a minister for Christ, a minister for God, to be a, be a prophet. Not much happened in his life, and he certainly had a lot, took a lot of pot shots. People were after him over and over again. And let's go to Jeremiah 20, and I'm going to start with his complaint in 7. At verse 7, and read a few verses to you. And I want you to see the contrast in his life as he deals with this depression because he's up and down. He's up and down. And, and as in our text tonight, he went from stage to stage. There was time when he saw men as trees, and there are times that he saw clearly. Look as I read about Jeremiah's problem here. O oh Lord, verse 7, you persuaded me. And I, allow, I allowed myself to be persuaded. You are stronger than I am, and you've overpowered me. Now I am mocked by everyone in the city. Whenever I speak, the words come out in a violent outburst. Violence and destruction, I shout. So these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. I'm a joke to the people that I talk to. You see him seeing as seeing men as trees here? And then he sees clearer, clearer. But I can't stop. And if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name... I can't do it because his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones, and I'm, I'm weary of holding it in. Then he goes back in verse 10. 
He sees a little bit clearer in 9, but in 10, I've heard the many rumors about me. They call me the man who lives in terror. And they say, if you say anything, we'll report it. We're watching you, buddy. Make one bad move and you got it. We're, you're in trouble. Even my old friends are watching me, waiting for a fatal slip. He will trap himself, they say, and then we'll get our revenge on him. He sees men as trees. And then he sees clearly, but the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Before him they will stumble. They cannot defeat me. They will be shamed and thoroughly humiliated. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord Almighty, you know those who are righteous, and you examine the deepest thoughts of hearts and minds. Let me see your vengeance against them, for I have committed my cause to you. But if you read that, you'll see the up and the down in Jeremiah's life, and and definitely an example of one who is going through some very severe depression. Well, what about the spiritually depressed and and, depressed? What about those who are in stage one? What can we tell them? Or what can I share with them? Or what would I share with them tonight? I would tell them this. That their big problem is they're not having a clear understanding. They're not having a clear understanding of who Christ is. Uh, Martin Jones coined the phrase, the somewhat Savior, in speaking of Jesus. And that's oftentimes where they are. They see Christ as somewhat the Savior. Not that he is the Savior, the one and only. He's not the somewhat Savior. He is the Savior. So they need a clearer understanding. Uh, Probably their heart is not fully engaged. They can see some things, as this man did. He could see trees, men as walking as trees. They can see some things, but they can't see everything. And they certainly don't find the happiness and joy that could be in theirs in the Christian life. You remember this passage? These people draw nigh with me, nigh to me with their lips, honoreth me with their mouths, but their heart is far from me. Their heart is not fully engaged. That's another thing that they could, they need to look at. And their will is divided. Uh, they can be rebellious and not see why man who calls himself a Christian has got to do certain things and give up certain things. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about when a person is a new man in Christ, some things got to go. Don't think some things got to go. I'm not talking about a list that you have to follow. But when you become a new man in Christ or a new woman in Christ, old things are passed away and all things become new. I think the the person who is only seeing men walking as trees, their will is divided. All right, I started this tonight by saying in that song, there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. That's what Cochran thought, but we know there is. And I want to give you a couple points that are a part of the cure. But before I do that, I have to give you a couple principles uh, about spiritual depression, a couple things we need to do. Number one, we need to avoid making a premature claim that our blindness is cured. What if the man in the text would have done that? Because remember, he couldn't see a thing, and then all of a sudden he saw that blur. And he saw men like trees. So he saw something. Uh, I don't know how you are with doctors, but I'm very scared of doctors. And, you know, doctors say, you know, I can have pain. And doctors say, you got any pain? I said, no, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. I'm, I'm fine. Well, that man could have done the same thing. I see. I can, I can see something out there now. So he could have, he could have answered, I see. And his blindness really wasn't cured. Many people do that. 
But a second thing we can do is uh, the temptation to say they see before they see clearly. The second is to feel hopeless and say there's no pouring going on. That's another thing that can happen to a person who is uh, open to depression. There's no sense in going on. Uh, I can't handle it anymore. Like Jeremiah, I give up. Everybody's talking about me. I'm the joke of, of the whole city, of the whole uh, city we live in. I can't handle it anymore. So I have to mention those two things before I tell you what I believe is the cure, the final cure. And that is in our text. And that answer is to be honest and answer our Lord's question, truthful and honest. And the question from our text was, you remember when Jesus said to him, what do you see? He asked the man that. What are you seeing? What do you see? And he answered, I see, but I can't see clearly. Uh, that's a good question. And it's a, a good answer that the man gave him. So let me ask you a question tonight. Where do you stand? Do you see clearly? Have you got the total picture? I hope that you do. Because if you do, we know that with Jesus Christ, we can rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of all glory. The last step to the remedy uh, is he submitted to Jesus. And the man in our story did that. He submitted to Jesus. You remember the first time? Told him what he saw. Jesus went a second time. He brought him the second stage. And the man just... Do what you want to do with me. He submitted to Jesus Christ. And he didn't object to the further treatment that he gave him. He rejoiced in it. So can you see? Do you see him? Do you realize that he's all you'll ever need? I love this song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. I dare not trust my sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is seeking sand. You want to see clearly. You want to get out of the doldrums if that ever comes your way. If you want to be a good counselor to someone who gets in the doldrums, point them to Jesus Christ. Tell them that he wants to come and, and bring healing to their life. He wants them to see clearly. He wants them to rejoice in their relationship to him. Now, I'm supposed to make an announcement before I close tonight. And that is Vacation Bible School teachers. And I see Susan in here for sure. I know she's uh, looking for more teachers. And if you would just notice the board out there, there are a lot of names out there, but there are still many slots that are available. Uh, I've signed up to be a storyteller. I love to tell stories. So I'm good. I got three-year-olds. Two, three, Two, three, and four, just like my grandchildren. But I'm going to be telling stories. Harold Wilson... I saw your name on the board. I don't know. Jay Parker, I saw your name on the board. Yeah. Bob Woods is up on there. I mean, this is going to be a total church project. And we got some 450 kids coming in here, and they all need ministering too, and they'll, they'll just be anxious to hear and to be taught. And this is a real outstanding week for our church. What an opportunity. To be what we say our mission statement is. Reaching. Reaching out. Uh, 
So I hope that you'll sign up. And what's the deadline, Susan? Yesterday? When all the slots are filled. All right. So, so not only fill it, but, but tell others. And, and maybe you can just get away for an hour or something. Maybe you work, but you got an hour. You know, Susan will put you to work. So please sign up and be a part of that. Okay. There ain't no cure for the summertime blues. Wrong. Jesus is the cure for the summertime blues. Father, we thank you for your word and, and for how it ministers to us. Thank you for the encouragement of this, uh, this story of this blind man who saw men walking as trees, but then he saw clearly as Jesus touched him. Oh, that song is a wonderful song that someone wrote. He touched me, and now never is life going to be the same. When Jesus touches you, you're changed forever. Thank you for these who've listened. Pray they can apply something that can help them in their faith walk. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen.